welcome back to another episode of Confessions of a Krabby Christian, a Misfit Media Network production. I am your host and resident Krabby Christian, Blake, and every week I get to have the coolest conversations with incredible people about all the things most Christians are still not sure we're allowed to talk about. So if you've been looking for a place to land with all your crap and for someone to just be honest about what it looks like to walk through this Christian life, well, you've come to the right place. Pull up a seat, pop in your headphones and tune out your kids and come hang out with me and a guest for the authentic conversations that you have been looking for. Jody, hey, welcome to the show. Hey there, Blake. Great to be chatting with you today. I didn't realize this before I, we booked this interview. You've written so many books. <laughs> so like I couldn't I kind of kept losing count of how many books you've written. Yeah, I lose count too. I don't know. I didn't never meant to be a writer. I went to a Bible study. I was a television producer and I went to a Bible study and sat next to a woman whose husband was a um, well-known financial and investment planner and the publishers, his publishers were hammering him to put out a new book. And she said, can you help my husband write it? Because she heard that I'd written for television. And I was like, well, writing for television is pretty different than writing a book. Like when you write for TV, you write stuff like up next. And I said, when you write for a book, you probably need to write, you know, a little more in the way of sentences. Anyway, she asked me to meet him. I did. And then I started writing books with him and it was really fun. I learned a lot, a a lot about financial planning. I didn't know much going in. I know only a little bit more now that I've finished, but that was my entry into writing books. And then when I started having my own children and praying for them, I kind of transitioned. And as you know, I've written a lot of books about prayer. So yeah. What an incredible start to a writing career that somebody was just like, <laughs> hey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I'm like, just kind of fall back into it. But it, it's yeah. been really, it's been a delight. So you've written a series of books, Praying the Scripture, which I'm so here for that because I know people get really, can get really lost in their prayers. And it's easy to forget that we have a little bit of a guidebook, right? Yeah. Like we have, we have a template. We have somebody that went before us. You've done children, adult children, teens, your life, and your new one, Praying the Scriptures for Your Marriage, comes out next month, right? Yes, comes out in April, April April 25th, yes. That is incredible. When you started writing this one specifically, Praying the Scriptures for Your Marriage, because you've written for children and for teens, and did it feel intimidating to write for something like marriage, or was it easier because you have... 37 years under your belt of being married. (laughs) I don't think it's ever easy. And I, you know, any writer you talk to will say it feels super vulnerable to put yourself out there. And when I was writing uh, books for parents to help them pray for their children, their teens, their adult children, of course, I shared stories from our own family, as well as other families I would interview. And the same with this one with marriage. But, you know, you put your own stories out there and you hope they resonate you know, the things that you did well, the things you did poorly. I mean, we're kind of sharing it all. And in this one, this is the first one my husband has really dug into with me. His name ought to be on the cover because unlike the other ones, I had him read every word of this before it went to the publisher. And he is nothing if not honest. We say (laughs) problems animate him. It doesn't matter if it's your tennis swing that he's trying to make a little better or like some giant financial problem he's trying to solve. And he would look at the books and he would go, hmm. I don't think that's as helpful as you think it should be. Or he would say, I'm not sure a man could relate to that. And honestly, even though I know 
women or my typical book buyers, they're probably your typical listeners. This was a book that I really wanted couples to be able to look at together, whether they shared a Christian faith or not. You may know from seeing it, there there are um, questions in there for reflection, for discussion, prayers you can pray, whether you've been praying your whole life or you're brand new to the, the exercise. I wanted to make it super doable and it was really helpful, even though it was really hard to have my husband's input saying, okay, you want to redo that part or you want to make this say it in a way that it's going to mean something to a man or you need to dig a little deeper here. And that was, as I say, really good, but but really hard. Yeah, so, that would be hard. I mean, I love what you said too about the template for the Bible. You, you know, you mentioned that earlier. And, and I do think like I started writing these books because I was praying and when I felt like my prayers were getting kind of rote, kind of routine. Mm-hmm even boring. I thought, well, I'm not that excited about my prayer life. I wonder if God likes hearing the same old things. Mm -hmm. And as you said, we can so often get stuck there, but yet we have scripture. We have God's conversation starter with us. This is his word to us. We can read it or we can pray it or we can do both. And when I began to look at my Bible as something that could animate, not just my thoughts about things, but also my prayers, how I talk to God about them, everything changed. I just felt like my prayer life got more exciting, more all-encompassing. Things I would have never thought to pray about suddenly are there on the page. And I think, wow, God cares about this. Lord, help form that in me, in my marriage, in my children, all of that. So I love what you said right off the top about it being a template. I think you you really hit something there. Well, and I mean, all, really, if you just want to hang out in Psalms. Yes. Like just read David's prayer. Homeboy is all over the place, first of all, which <laughs> gives me permission to be all over the place. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. I always say that like my favorite thing about David is that he'll be like, woe is me. Like, why have you abandoned me? My enemies are at my doorstep, but like, I know you're good and I know you've got <laughs> me and like, we're okay. Yes. yes. I know. He really gives us permission to throw it all out there to God, because God can handle our questions, our confusion, our fears, our worries, our praise, all of it. So you're right. I mean, I laugh. I say, people say, what's the best prayer? And I think, well, help me is a really good prayer. And it also is a scripture prayer because it comes from Psalm 70 and other Psalms too, where David's going, Lord, come quickly, help me. Help, (laughs) help, help. Help. Well, and it, I've been having this conversation with like friends recently about the things that we hold back from talking to God about and how like outright silly that is because he's already knows he's already involved. You're only hurting yourself and the situation. And I wonder how often we do that in our marriages. If, if it's because like, Oh my gosh, God's already blessed me with this. I don't want to complain about it or that when you do pray about it, it makes it more real. Like, what yeah. are some of the things you think that hold people back from praying specifically about their marriage? That is such a great question. And honestly, I've talked to people, not, not making this up, I've talked to people who say, you know, just kind of like what you're hinting at, they say, I don't want to be clogging the lines. Mm-hmm. No, I don't want to be bugging God with my little issue of, you know, my husband and I aren't communicating well when there are people on the brink of divorce. There are people who have lost a child. Like it could be worse. Yeah. Yes. I mean, and there are some, there are very real hurts and valleys we walk through in our marriages, even the best marriages. But, you know, in this book, I 
and we deal with things like that. We deal with suffering and grief. We deal with betrayal and forgiveness, infidelity, these things. But we also talk about those common everyday things, our communication, how we feel about our in-laws, you know, learning to listen, learning to handle money graciously together, how to fight, how to have conflict well, how to extend forgiveness, how to thrive in our empty nest years. Cause you know, that's where I am right now. And I'm seeing, looking around, seeing people who have not prioritized their marriage in their younger years and they're getting to the empty nest years and going, okay, where do we go from here? So we want to set ourselves up for success and, and be able to do that and finish strong. Well, I think we so often, like you were saying, we think that God doesn't care about these small intricacies of our life where I found like that's where he can be the most obvious. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like those yeah. really small things that happen that you go, mm-hmm. the way that, <laughs> or for example, it'll be you and your husband will communicate really clearly about something. And I was like, well, that was all God because we can't, we don't yeah. do that. On our own. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I'll tell you the thing that I think excited me most as I worked on this book, and I hope it resonates with readers because it was not something I expected. You know, you go into a book thinking, okay, I've outlined it. I want to do X, Y, Z. And God was like, no, no, I get more to show you, more to teach you. And the thing that I really came away from this one is exactly what you're hitting on there with the little things, because we have Ephesians 5 is sort of the classic, how do you live in marriage passage in the New Testament, right? Mm -hmm. And so many people will look at that Ephesians 5 and they'll start with verse 22, where it says, you know, wives submit to your husbands and people go, whoa, whoa, whoa. And they get their undies all in a wad and they don't even want to read any further. But I think what we have to do is back it up because Paul, when he was writing, did not start on that verse. You go back to the beginning of chapter five and in verse two, he says, walk in the way of love, Mm -hmm. giving yourselves up for one another the way Christ did for you. And then verse 16, he says, make the most of every opportunity. Verse 18, be filled with the spirit. He's giving us the how to's of how our marriages can reflect the gospel Because as we do what Jesus did, walk in the way of love, giving ourselves up for one another, and it could be the littlest thing. It could be bringing your spouse a cup of coffee in the morning. Yeah. So they're still in bed. It could be, you know, getting up with the baby or letting the dog out. It could be going to your husband's work party when you're like, I don't even know those people. I don't like those people. Whatever it is, the million little things we can do every day to, again, Ephesians 5, 16, make the most of every opportunity. Mm. That is living out the gospel that, you know, God loves marriage. He loves marriage. He calls himself the husband and we're his bride. He wants our marriages to reflect that. And of course, we're not going to get it right the way he gets it right. But we have chances every day to put into practice the way that Jesus loved us. We can do that to our spouse. And you know what's so cool too? Science backs all this stuff up because what we read in the Bible, like, okay, Philippians 2 in humility, consider others better than yourselves. Look to their own, their interests, not your own. All that, what science has discovered in the area of behavioral science is that the more we serve our spouse, the more we are generous, the more we are kind, the more we put their interests first, that creates an upward spiral in our marriage that can actually be measured of saying, okay, little things, the cup of coffee done over time consistently again and again create this climate where love can really flourish. And you're going, "Uh uh-huh, God knew that, but it's taking us as selfish humans so long to catch up. Well, and isn't that what marriage and life are made up of is all those little moments? Mm -hmm. Like, yes, you're going to have those big seasons like you were mentioning where, I mean, hopefully 
not infidelity, but it is a part of life, you know, and grief and suffering. But the hope is that that is not the, like the structural DNA of your relationship. Yeah. Yeah. If you are neglecting those little moments and those little opportunities to love, that is kind of what you were saying, how you end up at the empty nester point sitting across from somebody going, I don't even know you or like you. Yeah. Which is terrifying. (laughs) (laughs) It is terrifying, but you know, it is so that we say that easier to build a strong marriage than it is to fix a broken one. Mm. And I just love pouring into my younger friends and just saying, you know, as, as we're talking about here, it's the little things and it's the big things. Mm Mm-hmm. That setting patterns in place. And another thing that I think is really big, uh, especially for younger marriages, is prioritizing one another even above your children. Yeah. I know I was guilty of it, and I can see my daughters with their kids and friends with young children. You just feel like you want to put your spouse on hold. You know, he'll be there. Right. Let me get the kids settled. Let me get them dinner. Let me get them to bed. Let me get them in school. Oh, let me get them packed for college. Oh, let me get them helped unpack their kitchen in their new house. We never stop right. wanting to put our kids first at any age. But what we have to realize is that the best families, the best marriages come when the husband and wife prioritize each other. And there again, what science is showing and what I learned when I was researching this book is that when the mom and the dad put each other first, that actually creates stability and security in the kids' lives. Yeah. More so than if you're giving the kids the best of your attention all the time. They love knowing that mom and dad are looking out for each other. Yeah. We, my husband and I will jokingly, like we can't even hug without having, they're like trying to get in between us and, <laughs> and join in and like yes. they're in between our legs. And sometimes we'll be like, can we just have a second? And they'll be like, why? And my <laughs> husband will always be like, one day you're going to really be thankful that mom and dad are as obsessed with each other as they are. Yeah. Like yeah. just give yeah. us a second. <laughs> yeah. 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 But it's, it is. That's great. I have a question that I feel like listeners might be thinking. So I love all of this advice of the little things and putting your spouse first. What about the situations where you're the only one doing that? I know a lot of like wives can tend to feel that way, especially if they have more homemaker role. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, my, there have been seasons where my marriage looked like that, where you're like, I don't want to get him a cup of coffee because when's the last time he did anything for me? I hear you. I I hear you. And I was you. (laughs) And, you know, when I first started, before I wrote the book, I threw out the question on social media. I said, okay, if you want God to do something for your marriage, what would it be? And, you know, you can imagine the answers that people shared. People wanted better communication. Uh, They wanted uh, help dealing with in-law issues, parenting stuff that it was impacting their marriage money troubles and the fights that could come over that. But more than one person responded and they said, I want you to help me know how to get God to fix my spouse. Mm. And (laughs) and I thought, you know, I laughed, but then I thought, oh gosh, that kind of sounds like me, especially in the early years of our marriage, because we got married and we had grown up in very different backgrounds, both loving families. I'm so grateful that God gave us uh, intact families. I know that's really not always the norm, but very rare. They operated very differently.
My dad was super helpful in the kitchen. He'd go to the grocery on his way home from work. He'd help with the dishes, you know, all that. Robbie's dad went to the office well before dawn in the morning and he came home late and his mom handled pretty much everything that had to do with their home, the meals, the kitchen. So of course, when we get married, you know, we're both working, we get home at night and Robbie's kind of sitting there reading the paper, thinking he's being really supportive of me because he's home and hanging around. And I'm like, hello, um, I'm drowning. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I didn't even have children, but I just thought, could you help me chop the onion and something? And I hate to tell you, but it wasn't pretty. Like I was kind of a fun date in college and we get married and I'm like, poor Robbie, he's got naggy wife syndrome, like within the first year. And I remember praying about it. And I felt like God said to me, Jody, you know what, if you'll just stop nagging and start trusting me, mm. I could make uh, uh, Robbie into a better husband than anything you could design. Even if I give you a blank check and said, here, build them yourself. Right. So I was like, well, okay then. So I thought I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to keep staying in the kitchen. And I'll never forget, we were married about a year in this tiny little newlywed kitchen, uh, size of a shoebox. And I'm in there preparing dinner and Robbie peeks his head around the corner and he says, hey, is there anything I can do to help? And I mean, I burst into tears and I'm sure he's thinking, wait a minute, I've never offered to help. And now I'm offering help. I thought I was helping. I thought it was the right thing. But I was so grateful to the Lord because I was like, oh my gosh, God, you are so faithful. And I have to tell you, I didn't quit nagging. And, you know, Robbie didn't instantly become Mr. Kitchen Man or anything like that. But it was a great lesson for me as a young wife to trust God to work on kindness and loving my spouse. And, you know, the Bible says that it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. You know, he doesn't get us to come around by being mean or naggy to us. He, he loves us. Or telling us everything we did wrong. <laughs> yes. And so I feel like a lot of times in marriages, it can be the same way. And one of the chapters in the books talks about trusting God with differences in your faith. And that's something I hear from a lot of women. How do I get my husband to pray? We don't have the same spiritual styles. I like to pray out loud. He likes to pray silently. I journal and he doesn't, whatever it is. And people will tell me that it just feels kind of awkward sometimes mm -hmm. to even talk about that. And one of the things that Robbie and I, we used to teach marriage classes. And one of the things we would tell people who weren't super comfortable praying together was maybe just start with something like, you know, how can I, you know, you are loved. What is one thing I can do to show support for you this week. And even though that's not a focused prayer time, that's a conversation marked by love and mutual support. And as God listens in, and the Bible tells us, he does overhear what we're saying. I have to believe that he looks at that and can receive even those things. How can I love you? How can I support you? As prayers, so that he can begin to work in our marriages mm -hmm. and our lives. And honestly, the other thing I would say is, and this was funny, I, I interviewed one lady who said her husband was not the Christian she wanted him to be. He was he was a Christian, but he was just not dotting the I's and crossing the T's like she thought maybe he should. And, you know, she would do everything. She would like buy him a monogrammed Bible or a devotional, like with a golfer on the front because he liked golf. She would leave, uh, you know, leave emails of other men in the church that he thought she thought he would be friends with. You know, she just was trying very hard to build this life for him. And um, finally, he looked at her and he said, what makes you think that your faith is so much better than mine? 
Mm. And that really stopped her short because she thought, wow, you know, he's not interacting with the Lord the same way that I am. But golly, who's to say my way is better? And Mm -hmm. so I think particularly as wives who are hoping our husbands will step into that spiritual leader role, one of the things we can do is stand back and kind of say, you know, Father God, don't let my arrogance or my sense that I'm maybe doing it right get in the way of his growth or his knowledge of you. But let me do the Philippians 2 thing in humility, consider his interests above my own, that kind of thing. So I think I think that can really speak volumes and powerfully in our marriages. I think a recurring theme through everything you just said is being aware of your differences and not considering them right or wrong. Yeah. That was a huge turning point for our marriage because we come from extraordinarily different backgrounds. Riddled with divorce. My parents have been married for 37 years. We are sun and moon. Like we could not be more different. <laughs> yeah. And we love each other. And it took getting to a point of being able to see his strengths are my weaknesses mm-hmm. and my strengths are his weaknesses. And that we work really well together when we are not viewing our differences as things that fight against each other, but instead things that work together. Mm -hmm. He grew up in a home where his mom did everything, but she did everything. Like every (laughs) meal was home cooked from scratch. And then he marries me who's like, "Mm, I can cook (laughs) like ramen noodles. You know what I mean? (laughs) So like, but I'm really good at other things and I've learned. And so it's, that difference is that we're not right or wrong. We're just different, that we interact with God differently. We interact with our children differently and that those things are gifts. It doesn't mean that we don't both have areas that we need to grow in. Sure. But when when you kind of take that viewfinder off that they're wrong and start seeing it as just they're different, mm-hmm. that changed everything for us. And that's exactly what you're saying. I think that's a great way of putting it. And the other thing we can remember is that our spouse is not the enemy when we're coming up against one of those hard places. And maybe it's a difference that does need some attending, some sharpening, some fixing. Eh, They're not the bad guy. We're not the bad girl. We have an, we do have an enemy. His name is Satan. And the Bible says he comes to steal, kill and destroy. He hates marriage and he hates our marriage. And so he wants, of course, he wants to pit us against each other saying, oh, you're the problem. And really, you know, we're both flawed. Neither of us is perfect or close to it. And we need to realize we're not the enemy. And I'll tell you, I learned something else from my son-in-law. We were one time going around kind of giving marriage advice and who had good things to say or good things they had learned. And my son-in-law, Jeff said, you know, I've learned that when you are married, you're on the same team. And if you're in a fight about something or you have a disagreement or you see things differently, you don't want to win. You don't want to win against your spouse because that's a loss for your Mm -hmm. spouse, which translates to a loss for your team. He said, you want to keep reinforcing the fact that you're on the same team and you want the win, not for yourself, but for your team. And I thought, golly, that is such a, you know, as someone who likes to be right, and I like to be right, someone once said to me, would you rather be right? Or would you rather be in relationship? And honestly, my gut first thought was, well, I want to be right, you know, and I I had to step back and go, oh, that's not what God wants for me. But I do think, you know, for women who kind of have some clear ideas of what we think is right, sometimes stepping back and going, let's look at the bigger picture and the team and, and see how we can bring a win for both of us. Yeah, that's so good. One other thing that you talk about in the book that I wanted to talk about because it relates 
personally and also as a conversation <laughs> I've been having with some friends. And this is really specific, but I, I think this actually will resonate with a lot of women is interrupting your husband. <laughs> we <laughs> have had, so my husband and I have had to have conversations. First of all, I'm a talker, obviously. Hi, hello. I have a podcast. Like, it's kind <laughs> of my thing. Hello. Yeah. But that doesn't mean that he doesn't have a voice and doesn't have things to share. And you talk in the book about your journey of learning to listen instead of interrupting. And I would love to hear some like sage wisdom because it's so hard sometimes. It is so hard. I mean, most people honestly listen not as much with the desire to understand, but we listen kind of so that we can get to our point so yep. that we can, uh, you know, say what we want to say. And I think the average person, I'm, I'm not going to remember the statistic, right? It's somewhere in the book, something like the average person can only go 17 seconds to listening to anybody else before they jump in. And so I think we have to be really intentional because we're not taught, like, think about it. When we're little children, people teach us to speak. Can you say apple? Can you say daddy? You know, oh, say the whole sentence. That is great. We are so taught principles of speaking. Nobody ever teaches principles of listening. Right. Yeah. We don't say, okay, let's see how long we can wait before we speak. Let's see if we can reflect back. You know, you hear about that in, in you know, marriage classes you know, or in other relationship classes of kind of trying to say, this is what I hear you're saying. Is there anything you'd like to add to that? You know, some of those things that sound so corny when you talk about them, but in practice, they really can make a difference. Right. Well, and for me, honestly, it started with a recognition of my own arrogance, thinking that whatever I had to say was more interesting or more important than what mm. my husband had to say. And that was a real, you know, ew, conviction. And to be able to just say, okay, even if you think what you have to say is so valuable, stop, listen, don't interrupt, hold your tongue, and really even try to focus on what the other person is saying. And I'll tell you, Robbie is so good at this because I can get talking and I can, what he calls, circle an issue around <laughs> and around, and I'm not necessarily getting to the main thing. And he is really big on doing this, and he's taught me to do this identify the main thing it is that you want to talk about because until you kind of identify what is it that's bothering you what is it that you think needs to change you know what is it that you want to communicate that might be positive instead of circle 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 identify the main thing and then once you do that you can take steps to say okay what do we want to do about this mm -hmm. yeah well and you said the conviction of thinking that what you have to say is more valuable you can take that a step further and say, is what I have to say more valuable than he is? Mm -hmm. Because it never feels good to be constantly interrupted, whether it's intentional or unintentional or with good, good heart. It's still like, oh, I was like halfway through that sentence, but okay, go ahead. And so it ultimately having to realize that you're prioritizing your opinions over this person that you value more than hopefully most things. Absolutely. And I'll tell you, I let you talk a long time there. I was trying to go more than 17 seconds. <laughs> you were making a really good point. <laughs> yeah. That alone, that point alone would be, is just really good to kind of tuck away. And when you want to interrupt, just saying, okay, is what I want to say here more valuable than he is to me or this person is to me? Mm -hmm. Hopefully the answer is no. Yeah. And just keep your mouth shut. <laughs> and it can really help, I think, when. You said you're more of a talker than your husband. I think a lot of a lot of marriages would say that. Not all, of course, but 
when a man is talking about something, and you know, we can be talking about something and thinking about six different things. We are multitasking all the time. And for them, when they're talking, that is what they are focused on. Mm -hmm. And it can help as we listen for us to try to restate what it was they said, you know, we might be thinking, okay, they're talking about the weekend and is it going to be rainy or sunny? And should we clean the garage? And do we need to go by his mom's? And, oh, you know, we hear all this. And what he's just saying is we got to make sure to get the oil changed in the car. And, mm-hmm. you know, we heard that with a bunch of other things, maybe we're layering on. And so it can be helpful for us to say, you know, you mentioned the car. Did you want me to make an appointment to get that taken into the shop? Just, just try to focus on what is the piece of information he's trying to communicate. And of course, that's a silly little illustration about oil in the no, car. It, makes sense. it could be something, it could be something much more uh, relationally important, but to try to do again, that thing my husband is so good at, listen to identify the main issue and then don't assume you know it, mm-hmm. but say it to get, to get clarity to say, honey, you know, is, is this what you're trying to say? Yeah, that's so good. That's so good. Thank you so much for all of it. I like took notes. I, <laughs> I'm, I, this is all so applicable. I mean, we've been married for 10 years, but that's not that long in the grand scheme of things. And hopefully we'll be learning these things and, and figuring each other out for a really long time. And I know that it's just, it's just a journey. And I'm so thankful for people like you who are giving tools to not just self-help. This isn't a fix it, right? It's a come together, come to God figure this out together. Cause so much of this kind of content can be just like, how do I fix them? How do I fix myself? Right. And I love the idea of inviting God into the conversation, into the marriage through prayer, just because, you know, even, even the secular scientists and and articles come out saying prayer reinforces the idea that you're on the same team. It Mm. gives you a chance to calm down. It comes with all these other benefits, which I didn't know before I started writing the book, but you know, you have a greater sense of emotional well-being. You report being happier and more satisfied in your marriage. You have better sex, you know, on and on, and it, which all kind of makes sense because when you pray, whether you're praying together or just praying on your own, it really opens the door to an intimacy mm. that you don't get any other way. Right. Yeah. That's amazing. Tell people where they can keep up with you, find your content, all that kind of good stuff. Oh, thanks so much for asking. Um, I'm probably on the social social channels most active on Instagram, Jody underscore burnt, J-O-D-I-E underscore B-E-R-N-D-T. And then um, also on my website at jodyburnt.com, which is a place where I share a lot of free printables. Thing, like right now, there's a marriage card people can get with just five scripture prayers that mm. pertain to any marriage. It's a great thing to tuck into somebody's wedding gift if you're yeah. you know, buying a present for someone and conversation cards that you can use to get a dialogue going with you and your spouse. So I love that. all kinds of helps. I'm all about making this prayer thing doable. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go grab that printable and print it out and put it somewhere I can see it. Thank you so much. This was amazing. Thank you so much. Lord bless you. All right. That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Crappy Christian Podcast. And hey, by the way, if you super loved it, can you go leave a five-star review wherever you're listening? That'd be awesome. All right. See you next week.